This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Patrick Shannon, Chief Financial Officer of Allegiant. This is episode 456. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. On today's episode, we continue sharing with you season highlights, including a number of our on-the-spot interviews with finance thought leaders at different 2018 annual conferences and events. We begin after these words from our sponsor. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, Visit us at Workday.com. Bull. We have a few on-the-spot segments. We know you'll enjoy this episode. But first, few CFOs shared with us a more compelling professional narrative in 2018 than Bruce Hartman, CFO Emeritus of Foot Locker. Here's a highlight from that interview. Uh, I think as a finance person, one of the most important things was being able to marry uh, 
my visionary ability with a great sense of detail. And it didn't come easy, um, you know, but over time I learned it, and I learned it really well at this at this first assignment, uh, which I thought was I thought was very helpful in um, how I went went forward. the The second step was um, I was made this later on. About a couple of years later, I was made the CFO of a very large billion-dollar division of uh, new department stores. And along the way, I had been coached and counseled. And you know, one of the great things about new department stores—they're great training uh, for us as young executives. And you, you, you know, you learn very quickly when you're the number one finance person. You are ultimately responsible for all financial decisions. But there is, uh, it's virtually impossible to be part of every decision. So one of the things that uh, I learned was you have to have a good organization, and you have to look beyond the resume of the people. You have to look for five important characteristics if you were going to assign and delegate responsibility to other people. So you know those five things that I learned. Number one was. The, you know, look for people who have the ability to get things done, and we know those people. Those are the people that you have a conversation with. They they hear what you have to say, and they always surprise you with their ingenuity in getting things done, no matter how difficult the task. So that was number one. The second thing was um, surround yourself with people that listen to learn. These are people that ask questions first and state their opinion second. The third is, as I said before, knowing the details is really important. But beyond knowing the details, being able to analyze effectively is very important in terms of understanding what the details are telling you. So, it's the third characteristic they look for. The fourth is surround yourself with people that develop other people, because in every organization there's invariably openings, and it's uh, very. Uh, Disruptive if you have to go to the outside to hire people. So if you have managers working for you, I found uh, they developed other people. You could quickly fill any of the openings that would pop up uh, here and there um, throughout a year. And being able to have people that were already ingrained in the culture, knew the system, and were up and coming people was very important. So we really relied on managers that had the ability to develop others. And the fifth is people that had a results orientation. So, in other words, their first thought was, "How do I get things done? How do I get them done well? And what what can I do next to help folks?" So, those five things again: their ability to get things done, number one; number two, um, an ability to listen to learn; three, analyze effectively; four, develop others; and fifth, have a uh, results orientation. So, by what I found, particularly in this this first assignment, um, is that by selecting and promoting people with these characteristics, many of the decisions that we made became successful. And in fact, in my first year as the CFO for this division, in almost all of the uh, financial statistics that measure a company, we were number one in all of uh, the main department stores. So. Not because of me, it was because of the great people that、uh, I hired and sticking to these principles. Wow, 
I, I, I love it. I want to come back to these principles. I want to revisit each one with you, and, and we'll, we'll do that a little later. Uh, but I just want to get uh, some clarification. That now, at the time you were with Mays, you were uh, in St. Louis. Is that right? Yes, I had uh, Jack over. I had a very good career with them, and over a nine-year period, I was in seven of their divisions. I kept getting promoted. Um you know, because of my flexibility. Um, and so my last tour in um, in May Province Stores was in St. Louis as the divisional CFO for Famous Bar. Now, I want to uh, touch on uh, the two characteristics you shared with us. One was that you realized you were uh, detail-oriented, but also visionary. But I don't, you know, there are a lot of people who would like to think they're a visionary, but it's not It's not like you wake up one morning and you are. When did it become clear to you that you sort of had a big picture outlook? And, and did someone point it out to you? Did you have a mentor who encouraged you to try to, uh, you know, communicate that big picture capability that you had? Tip Locker was a turnaround chapter. Can, can you give us a maybe a, an abbreviated edition or however you'd like to share that story with us? But that had to have been one of the more interesting chapters of your career. It was. I remember the day, uh, Jack, I remember the day that they made me CFO. The stock hit its lowest. Uh, I think it was $3.45 a share, down from as much as somewhere in the mid-20s. And um, I remember calling my wife and saying, guess what? They just made me the CFO at Foot Locker. And she was, that's terrific. And I said, yeah, here's the downside. They're $1.4 billion in debt. They don't have any cash. And last year they lost $100 million. So, yeah, that was the start of that. And um, when, I got, when I got into my job, I quickly identified that, number one, Foot Locker's a great brand. Was and is. Uh, 50% of all the premium sneakers in the world are sold through Foot Locker. So a great merchandising strength, which gave me, you know, a sense of comfort. Uh, and the second thing was there was a lot of tertiary businesses that had nothing to do with our strategic plan. So my sense was if we could sell those businesses and get that distraction out of our way, we could do two things. One, raise cash, and two, be more focused on running the core business. And the third thing was, which I saw as an advantage, is we had some strong finance people in the organization, but they were too low in the organization to make an effect, have an effect on the company. And the folks that were in charge were fairly passive in pushing back on financial decisions. So one of the things that I did was identify the people that existed in the organization when I arrived, promoted them. Um, especially if they have these five core values. And the second thing, I was able to rely on a lot of folks from the past that could bring in new energy and ideas. So what I created was a blended organization. And it really wasn't, though a lot of people give me credit for saving Foot Locker, it really wasn't me. It was really all these folks um, that, you know, learned, knew what they, they knew from the past what would work and they also had the energy to do the job and there were many times that first year Jack uh, we were very very close to bankruptcy 
And a couple of times the CEO asked me if we should file bankruptcy. And one of the things that I pointed out to the CEO, I did a lot of research, there were very, there are very few companies, retail companies, that survive bankruptcy. So if our goal is to stay alive as a company, the first thing would be not to do something that could, in, in, I think less than 5% of retailers survive over long term out of bankruptcy. There's a couple of reasons for it. Uh, one is bankruptcy is very distractive to a business. Uh, it takes your eye off the ball, which is not something a company that's struggling needs to do. And the second thing is the financial cost is very severe. So, you know, the pushback on the CEO and the investment bankers that said, essentially that we have a great merchandising team, we have a great finance team in place, we're getting rid of a lot of assets, give us a chance. And so that first year uh, was very hard, and we came very close a number of times to having to file bankruptcy. And in fact, in the third quarter, Jack, um, when we filed, we were getting ready to file our reports, we were $345,000 from missing our bank covenants, which would have sent a cast, would have created a cascading set of events that would have filed us in bankruptcy. And I remember asking everybody, well, we're not going home tonight until we find the $345,000. And um, yeah, I just went to my office and let the entire organization work. And around 8 o'clock that night, um, the chief accounting officer and one of the folks in Treasury came in to say that they had found the money. And it was, believe it or not, in a utility deposit in California. Um, and that was just enough to get us over the edge. When we entered that fourth quarter, a lot of the things that I had seen in the merchandising area started to, started to come to fruition. And we really noticed it in December of that fourth quarter. And um, it was four things. One is they came out with, um, they were coming out with a brand new sneaker. It's now called Tuned Air. And it was created by Nike in conjunction with our merchants. Jack, we sold three million pairs of those um, after that after that introduction, which was a big lift to our sales. The second thing was Matt had just been made the CEO of the company, and he knew a lot of techniques that could lift sales and lift them profitably and make us more visible to the customer. And I knew from Matt's background, he was also a department store executive like I was. So I understood what Matt was talking about. While the company may not have, um, most of the folks I talked to, I said, trust me, this gentleman knows what he's doing. And so a lot of the stuff that Matt put in place also really helped the company. The third thing is Foot Locker was one of the very first national retailers to introduce uh, electronic gift cards and gift cards in the store. And the reason why that was helpful is a lot of folks, and gift cards become very important for retailers, a lot of folks, when they buy Christmas presents, they just buy Christmas, uh, they just buy gift cards. And having one of those available really helped us as well. And the first thing that helped us, Jack, was a very strong finance team. Um, if you can imagine a football game, for most of that year, they played on the other team's five-yard line and kept holding off the, the, their, the other team's offense from scoring. And the reason why that's important is you can't continue to play from the five-yard line. But a strong finance team that can hold the wall for a while always will allow the merchants time to get their bearings and their, 
kind of their feet on the ground. That's essentially the story of uh, Foot Locker. So the strong merchants were, were given time by a very strong finance team, a committed finance team, that uh, brought them time to uh, make Foot Locker the great company that it is. We'll be back after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, it's Jack, and we've caught up with Ethan Carlson at the Advantage Conference. Ethan uh, is CEO of Carlson Management Consulting, and he is an FP&A guru and a long supporter of the podcast. Ethan, question. When it comes to the FP&A function, what separates top flight finance teams from the laggards today? Sure, thanks, Jack. I think that's a, a great question. I think really what sets the, the leaders in, in FP&A and analysis and it, from uh, organizations that are, are doing a, a less good job is really that they're never satisfied with where they are. They're always looking for opportunities to find efficiencies, deliver more value to the organization, uh, and really make the FP&A function a value-add part of the business that really is a partner uh, in, in making strategic decisions. And what we see with, with uh, organizations that are doing that well, they one, look at their processes, make sure that they're looking at their business the best way, but then they're looking at technology and leveraging new technology, whether it be cloud-based solutions, some of the new stuff we're hearing about you know, AI and helping in the accounting function, looking for ways to get away from what they've done historically just because they have and looking for all these ways to become more efficient and add that, that, that greater value. What is the question that finance leaders should be asking their teams uh, to determine whether... Is there... A question you would ask finance leaders to uh, better understand whether they're succeeding or failing today. I mean, on some levels, it's really simple. And if they ask their team, do you think the analysis that we're providing the business gives us the tools to make informed decisions? Um, it sounds simple, but so many organizations produce reports, big vol voluminous sets of data that aren't useful. And the organizations that find ways to be targeted, provide actionable information, uh, perform better. They, they're, they're more profitable and, and have teams that are more engaged with their business. And so I think it's simply looking at what you're doing and ask your team, is what we're doing make sense? Does it fit our business? Has our business evolved? Um, and, and how can we better support the, you know, what our needs are? Recent adopters. What are the early milestones for recent adopters of some of the FP&A technologies, those companies that are taking it to the next level with their FP&A uh, systems? What are the early milestones for those sure. uh, adopters? Um, well, I mean, I think some of the early milestones is getting out of the manual 
administrative things that you have to do if you're, say, work, still working in Excel or downloading and doing things manually for reporting. You know, something as simple, you know, first milestone is to produce monthly budget versus actual reporting or produce your monthly reporting deck. Doing that with a couple of clicks of a button using a solution versus lots of uh, you know, gymnastics in, in, in Excel is a really big milestone for, for a lot of organizations and they can get there pretty quickly with some of what's out there. Give, how quickly? What are we speaking? Is I that mean, you're it, talking in weeks. I mean, in, you know, I don't think this happens overnight. Nothing happens you know, overnight, but we're, you know, solutions uh, that are out there that are cloud-based for budgeting, forecasting, cor you know, corporate performance management, you can deploy them in weeks. You know, six, eight weeks, 12 weeks, you can have really robust functionality uh, for your organization. What would be a 18-month milestone for a company that 18 months earlier was reliant on spreadsheets? I mean, what we see is organizations where uh, non-financial resources are becoming self-service, you know, finding their own reports, asking more informed questions of the finance team, that's really always a big milestone. Uh, always honing that forecast uh, uh, accuracy. You know, 18 months in, I would want to you know, say that if you've gone through a process and looked at technology and ways to do things better, that you are more accurate uh, in your forecast, that you're more timely. If you're you know, you know, into that you know, 18 months, you're probably in the second cycle of using a new solution. I would hope that your, your cycle time has been cut you know, by a dramatic measure. So one of the big dividends you always like to talk about is is the holistic data piece of this. Yes. Uh, the big dividend sure. that that really is. Can you can you share reflect sure. on that a little with us? What is, what is that achievement? Yeah, yeah. So so what we see with organizations, it's not just about putting your financial data in a corporate performance management system. It's connecting all of your systems. You have CRM, HR systems, financial systems, operational systems, finding solutions that let you have all of that data exist in one place where you have that holistic view of your business and can see financial and operational metrics together. Really, you can see the, the drivers and the results uh, side by side. Um, we see that as what really organizations should be striving toward, and it's something we uh, we see is really differentiating uh, who's doing you know FPNA the best and, and and who's not is really bringing all that information into one place. Ethan Carlson, thank you for answering our questions. Great, thank you so much. Hello, we're attending AFP's annual conference in Chicago this week, and we're pleased to catch up with Wolfgang Coaster, CEO of Fire Apps. Wolfgang, good to good to meet you. Hi, Jack. Good to be here. How are you? Wolfgang, when it comes to FX in 2019, mm -hmm. what challenges must CFOs keep in mind? Well, I think the number one challenge, the overriding and strategic part is that foreign exchange is going to continue in its volatility, if not get more. I think the political environment and geopolitical environment states that very clearly. I think the thing that needs to be very clear for CFOs, this isn't just about the tactical part of strategic, uh, sorry, the, the tactical part of managing currency risk via Treasury. The other thing to keep in mind, it's also about the strategic part. So when the CEO and CFOs that I've talked to say, think about foreign exchange, they think about tactically, what are we doing in treasury? What are we doing about balance sheet risk management? What are we doing about cash flow risk management? But when it comes to strategic part, they really need to understand how currencies impact every line of the income statement. Very doable today, by the way. And then really think about, okay, what do I need to do with my supply chain? What do I need to think about taxes? How do I need to think about my cost? Are there other ways to offset that? And really getting a good enterprise currency analytics in there, which you can very quickly understand all these things and then articulate it, not just to the uh, organization itself, but also to the stakeholders. In other words, 
What is earnings per share impact going to be? What is EBITDA impact going to be? How is it going to impact revenues? Where is this coming from? And what are they doing to mitigate it? These analysts, especially for publicly traded companies, are getting much more sophisticated and expecting sophisticated answers. Fire Apps, Wolfgang Coasters. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jack. Well, I'm afraid that's it for this highlight reel of CFO Thought Leader. We're looking forward to launching our 2019 season. Joining us among the CFO Thought Leaders joining us this January will be Reggie Hayes, CFO of CMS Energy, and Tony Trippany, CFO of Corning Incorporated. Look for those interviews, exclusives. For CFO Thought Leader in early January. Wishing you a wonderful 2019. This is Jack Sweeney with CFO Thought Leader. Thank you for listening. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or, if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.